This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. This is a Sunday kind of love. I'm Maya Tan, and as usual, my partner Tasha Fusil is with me. It's Children's Book Week in the UK, and it got me thinking about my childhood and how one thing helped me survive the dreary school days and the rotan wielding teachers. One thing helped me with being woken up at six in the morning and having a cold water shower, getting your hair yanked into a ponytail, waiting for the school bus at the crack of dawn. This one thing also helped me survive all the playground bullies and all the kailan my mother made me eat. This one thing is the storybook. On this episode, I'll be telling you a story about a stolen storybook, plus a few fun things that you can do with the little people in your life. Our resident couch potatoes, Christina Oro and Edwin Sumun, highlight some of new releases in children's books. And Tasha Fusil has some hacks for a more peaceful, blissful little person. For mummies and daddies, aunties and uncles and godparents who want to be more hands-on. Might even work on cats and other small animals, I'm not sure. You're going to have to listen to find out. But first, just going back in time a little, here's a story about a dark, dark day in my childhood. I once stole a storybook. It wasn't that the book was anything special. It was an old dusty book with a hard cover and yellowed pages and the musty smell of humid Malaysian libraries with slow swirling fans and silverfish darting out to give you a big fright if you're unlucky. You see, you see? I was a latchkey kid. I was a latchkey kid. I had two choices. I either take the bus home fish the key out from under the mat, let myself into the house, make myself some Megimi, and go dig out one of my old books to read, or I could spend my time at the school library and wait for my dad to pick me up after work. Either way, Either way it was a dreary prospect. dreary prospect. The afternoon, spent all alone with no one to talk to. Where was my mother? At her sister's house, convalescing, unable to cope with looking after my baby brother. But I suspect Mahjong had something to do with it. Thank goodness for the storybook. My mother used to read to me when I was littler, before I could even read myself. She would read to me so often that I once tricked her into thinking that I could read. Truth was, I memorized every word. And with that, especially after I learned to read properly, I began my long and storied relationship with books. There was only one problem. I read too fast. I read so quickly, so voraciously, that I finished the books that my parents bought for me on weekends where we stopped at the bookshop. When I'd finished, I'd ask for more and they would never believe me when I told them. Yes, I really have finished my book. I used to read a lot of Enid Blyton. Adventures of the Wishing Chair, The Magic Faraway Tree, and I knew all about brownies, pixies, fairies, and goblins. So, whenever I had a book to read at home, I would go home and pretend my Maggie noodles were hearty lamb stew or a piping hot steak and kidney pie with blanc manche for dessert. 
whatever that is. <sighs> when I finished the book, I sometimes started writing my own stories about little girls wandering about in English country gardens and woods, looking for poisonous plant life to murder their mothers with. <laughs> One day, I had just finished flipping through my favorite book on marine life with big glossy pictures of man-eating sharks when I glanced at my watch and realized that it was time to head down to the porch of the big colonial house that was my school to wait for my dad. I returned the book to its shelf, walked out of the library and picked up my school bag at the entrance. By the door was a trolley full of books. Maybe they were new books, books that had just been donated. And right on top was a book with a peeling cover entitled Charlotte's Web by E.B. White, pictures by Garth Williams. I looked around. No adults were in sight. So, I picked it up and read the first page. Where's Papa going with that axe? See why he needs an axe. Never amount to any. Do away with it. kill it? It's because it's smaller than the others? Please don't kill it. It's unfair. <laughs> At that exact moment, I heard the horn of my father's car. I dropped the book and started running. Because if Daddy left, Thinking I'd taken the bus, I would be stuck in school. But I was torn. What an interesting book. An eight-year-old girl, just like me. A little pig about to be killed. Does it get killed? Does it? Does it? I had to know. I hesitated. You know, like when you have to leave the house, but you have to go to the bathroom and you're late. But you have to go and you wonder if you can make this journey. But then you turn back and go to the bathroom because your bladder wins the argument. Well, in this case, I let my bladder win the argument. I ran back to the trolley, took the book, stuffed it in my bag, and went down to meet Dad. It's okay, I thought to myself, I'll return it tomorrow. That night, I read under the covers, and I entered the world of Fern and Wilbur the pig, and laughed at Templeton, and marveled at Charlotte's kindness and cleverness, and cried when Charlotte died. And the next day, I just couldn't return the book. I couldn't. I simply couldn't. I went home every day and read Charlotte's Web and ate my Maggie. And I imagined I was eating fresh farm eggs with corn on the cob. I read at night. I read on weekends. The days stretched out into weeks and then months. And soon, it was the end of the term. On the last day of school, I walked into the library with the book stuffed down the front of my pinafore, trying to look fat. Basically, I think I just puffed up my cheeks to pretend I put on weight. And to justify the fact that I had a rectangular-shaped thing in the area of my stomach, I walked to the storybook corner, looked around, I slowly fished the book out, and then with a big sigh, <sighs> slid the book on one of the shelves. I didn't have much mood left to read after that. Everything seemed lackluster and just plain boring. Even pictures of the fearsome fang-toothed fish didn't cheer me up. When it was time to go, the librarian, to be honest, I can't remember her name, said to me, Huh, I haven't seen you in a while. How are you? I nodded and smiled a little. Are you coming back next term? I said, yes. Okay, she said, see you next term. I waved goodbye and picked up my bag. I was halfway down the large spiraling stairs when I heard her call out my name. I stopped and turned to look up, and my heart dropped into my panties. 
Her face appeared at the top of the stairs. In horror of horrors, she held the book in her hand. It was THE book. I know because I had woken up with it, eaten meals with it, and slept with it at night. I thought, she's going to punish me. She's going to tell my parents. She's going to get me expelled. And then she spoke, and my ears couldn't believe the words. Come on up, silly. You love your storybook. I went up the stairs and just kind of stared at her with what must have been a silly look on my face. She smiled and held the book out to me again. Actually, miss, I started to say, um, this book is, this book is, uh, this book is your favorite? She said, I know, it was my favorite too, she said and winked at me. And now, we look at some fun things you can do with with the little people who matter in your life. So first up, we've got Don't Let the Pigeon Drive the Bus. It's a colourful stage adaptation of the first book from the Pigeon series by the award-winning children's author Mo Willems, who used to write and create animation for Sesame Street. I'm sure we're all familiar with that. <laughs> Back to this, the plot is about a bus driver who, for unknown reasons, must leave his bus unattended. So in the book, he asks the reader not to allow the pigeon to drive the bus. <laughs> the pigeon must be an awful driver. <laughs> or just a pigeon, you know, you just don't... I don't like the idea of a pigeon driving a bus. I don't like that idea either. (laughs) And this pigeon, however, is a very persistent little creature. He tries many excuses and attempts to bamboozle readers into letting him drive the bus. It's very cute. um, And I watched an animated video of the pigeon where he tries to convince, cajole, bribe and flatter his way behind the wheel of the bus. So not unlike Sesame Street, this show is going to be a, a lot of fun, feathers and laughter, especially as it will be interactive with the audience. And it's going to feature original music. You didn't let the pigeon drive the bus, did you? Yeah! Are you sure? Yeah! Yes, you didn't let him drive the bus. No! No, it's just the ticket. If you're coming from the shops, it's just the ticket. There are 27 stops, it's just the Don't Let the Pigeon Drive the Bus runs till October 19th over at PJ Live Arts. Head to www.pjlivearts.my for all the information on tickets and showtimes. If it's one thing that never fails to fascinate anyone of any age, it's the coolest creatures to ever roam the earth, dinosaurs. Countless books have been written, a handful of epic dinosaur movies made, and real-life fossils admired in museums all over the world. So who can resist when someone decides to re-engineer life-size animatronic dinosaurs in the true-to-life settings of Mesozoic times? So you can visit Dinoscovery by Dinosaurs Live to travel back in time and learn about the age of dinosaurs and how they evolved through hands-on activities, educational didactics, and a state-of-the-art interactive exhibit. The exhibit runs till February of 2015, and it's happening at Discovery Avenue K. If you're Malaysian, then tickets for children 17 years and below are 35 ringgit, and for adults, it's 25 ringgit. Sounds great. Dinosaurs. Arr. <laughs> 
And for those who enjoyed the animated take on prehistoric times, there's also Ice Age Adventure set up in Gunting Resort World. There are a few things you can enjoy here. There'll be daily screenings of the popular Ice Age short films such as Gone Nati, uh, which they usually play at the start of the full-length feature. Yeah. He's that adorable little creature who keeps wanting Just to find that, that acorn yeah. and has the hardest luck trying to get it. <laughs> Then there's an Ice Age playground that's modelled to that of the Ice Age interior and camera-happy mummies can roam free to take selfies at over 30 photography spots based on scenes from the movie. And like any cartoon or animated franchise event worth visiting, you'll be able to meet and greet the much-loved characters Sid, Scrat and Diego. You know, when I was going to meet all these life-size characters in mm-hmm. real life, I would line up with an autograph book and I get Aww. so nervous to meet them. But I think now you can choose to dance, you can play games with them or do what we all do and just take selfies. So which, uh, which characters have you got autographs from? Well, this was this was in Disneyland, so I think I got the princesses, and I've got like Mickey Mouse, Minnie Mouse. For some reason, oh, who are those guys? They're twins, and they're really scary. Tweedledee and Tweedledum. Yes, Tweedledee and Tweedledum made me cry. <laughs> <laughs> they made me cry. <laughs> so I think that sort of scarred the experience of meeting these larger than life characters, and I'm just yeah, <laughs> I'm over it. <laughs> okay, well, Ice Age Adventure will be a different experience. <laughs> it's on till the 26th of October at the Genting International. Convention Centre. Tickets are priced at 20 ringgit and you can book them online at rwgunting.com So, 8-year-old Maya and Tasha would <laughs> definitely have gone bonkers for this last yeah. listing. Can you imagine if we hung out together when I we were know, 8? Oh my god, we'd be like fangirling. <laughs> Making a whole lot of noise. Yeah. So, Disney Live. Three classic fairy tales will tell the time-honoured stories of Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, Cinderella and Beauty and the Beast as they take us on an enchanted journey featuring three of the best-loved Disney stories. My question is, why stop at three Disney princesses? Exactly, come on! I mean, I want to see Ariel and Mulan and Sleeping Beauty at the party too! <laughs> but even though the gang's not all there, the princesses will be joined by Mickey Mouse, Minnie Mouse, Donald, Goofy, and more than 25 of the other Disney friends. So we'll see some classic moments unfold, from Snow White searching for her one true love, to Cinderella getting ready for her big magical party at the castle, <laughs> into with appearances by the odd Disney mouse or duck. <laughs> it's produced and promoted by the folks behind Disney on Ice, and if you've seen a Disney on Ice production, then you would know that the set design, choreography and costumes are all top-notch and guaranteed to blow the kids away. This isn't happening until the 24th to the 26th of October over at the Plenary Hall in KL Convention Centre. But tickets are on sale, so grab them on ticketpro.com.my before they run out. Are you going to go? Yeah, why not? (laughs) (laughs) All right, Mickey, watch out. Tasha's coming for you. (laughs) In my autograph book. (laughs) Our couch potatoes come on next. Christina Oro and Edwin Suman will talk about some of the new releases in children's books. A Sunday Kind of Love returns after this on BFM 89.9. Welcome back to A Sunday Kind of Love, the childhood and stolen books episode. I'm Maya Tan, our resident couch potatoes, Christina Oro and Edwin Suman are here. And today we're going to be talking about the hottest new releases in children's books with a few recommendations from their childhood thrown in. 
It's Children's Book Week in the UK, so this week we can look at some of the hottest releases expected this month, or expected around this time. The Heroes of Olympus Book 5. Percy Jackson! For those of you who are unfamiliar, this is a series by Rick Riordan, who's, as you say, responsible for bringing us the Percy Jackson series. But this one is a fictitious retelling of the story of Jason and the Argonauts, Mm -hmm. and also Camp Half-Blood, which we saw in the Percy Jackson books and movies. This is uh, part 5, called The Blood of Olympus. Oh no. Oh, what yeah. happens in Olympus? Well, um, I wish we could read from it, but this is what I've got. Though the Greek and Roman crew members of the Argo II have made progress in their many quests, they still seem no closer to defeating the Earth Mother Gaia. Her giants have risen and they're stronger than ever, and they must be stopped before the Feast of Spes, when Gaia plans to have two demigods sacrificed in Athens, and she needs their blood, this half-blood blood, uh, the blood of Olympus, in order to wake. Such social allegory that one <laughs> earth mother is pissed off and, and she wants the back. blood of man but for now you know maybe you could read from the first book of heroes of olympus and this one is called the lost hero page one even before he got electrocuted jason was having a rotten day He woke in the back seat of a school bus, not sure where he was, holding hands with a girl he didn't know. That wasn't necessarily the rotten part. The girl was cute, but he couldn't figure out who she was or what he was doing there. He sat up and rubbed his eyes, trying to think. A few dozen kids sprawled in the seats in front of him, listening to iPods, talking or sleeping. They all looked around his age, 15, 16... Okay, that was scary. Of course that's scary, right? 15, 16-year-olds all together in a bus. <laughs> he didn't know his own age. The bus rumbled along a bumpy road, out the windows. Desert rolled by under a bright blue sky. Jason was pretty sure he didn't live in the desert. He tried to think back. The last thing he remembered, the girl squeezed his hand. Jason, you okay? Cliffhanger, Gitu, after the first page. I think you guys have to go read this book. Why do I feel dirty inside? <laughs> That's what Olympus does to you. Olympus. Yes. Well, look out for this one, the fifth installment. You could go through, you know, book one, two, three, and four, and then wait for this one. It's out in hardcover and Kindle on October 7th. Did you I'm, like the Percy Jackson films? Yes, I did like the Percy Jackson films, though, you know, a lot of people said no because the books were so successful and the movie wasn't wasn't the franchise they they hoped it would be. But they already made two films and they are planning a third, I think, just to finish off the Percy Jackson series. Mm -hmm. But I think it's good that uh, Rick O'Reilly decides to bring the the Greek gods back into play for the youth of today. Because when I was a kid, I loved reading about the Greek gods. Mm -hmm. And not everyone is exposed to this sort of culture. You know, if you were in the UK, for example, you might have to read about it in Latin or even in, you know, ancient history. Or Greek tragedies that you do in literature class. That's right. Mm -hmm. But here, um, none of our kids actually have a lot of exposure to that. So it's great for, you know, creating curiosity for and just like Greek. the books, the whole, uh, you know, the pantheon of gods and goddesses are like social allegory with all the backbiting and the yes. power play and, and that's the what killing they and, and the, the killing and the children. jealousy and the, yeah, yeah, it's all there.
Arts. The next series that we have with a new installment is Diary of a Wimpy Kid. Book 9 is out. Book 9? Book 9. And there was a movie which I didn't watch. Actually, there were three movies already. Three already? Wow. Three. Uh, For some reason, my kids really got into it. I'm not exactly mm. sure why. I think it's, their, it's this generation's Adrian Mole. Oh, yeah, it I is in a, in a sense. You know, it, it's kind of written like that. And Sue Townsend's uh, Adrian Mole series, which we all grew up on. I'm sure three of us it. sitting in here did it. Hmm. But just a quick yeah. look at the books. There's a lot of illustration. In the context of today's world, maybe that's what kids will respond to. But it would be nice to kind of pull them along towards well, something I think, a bit deeper. I don't know. Yeah, what uh, Sue Townsend had was depth. It was actually a very well-rounded book. Mm. And the movies and maybe she didn't know how off. to draw. People are talking, no interruptions. Sorry, mommy. <laughs> the Wimpy Kid movies actually rounded off the books. Mm. And I think the movies just sparked off more interest in the books and more popularity right. in the books. So, you know, in book one, we were introduced to Greg and his crush and his best friend and his family. Yeah, it was quite cute, that one. Book two was all about his brother, and you should watch that one, Roderick. Madcap character, very, very cute. Mm. Book three is about how his dad thought, you know, he could get... Greg to toughen up and he enlists Greg in organised sports and other manly endeavours and then maybe Christina you'd like to read from book 6 because the fourth film will be based on book 6 which is called Cabin Fever November Saturday Most people look forward to the holidays but the stretch between Thanksgiving and Christmas just makes me a nervous wreck if you make a mistake in the first 11 months of the year, it's no big deal. But if you do something wrong during the holiday season, you're going to pay for it. It's too much pressure to be on your best behaviour for a whole month. The most I can really handle is six or seven days in a row. So if they move Thanksgiving to the week before Christmas, it would be fine by me. Kids whose families don't celebrate Christmas are lucky because they don't have to stress out whenever they do something wrong at this time of the year. In fact, I have a few friends in that category who I think act a little extra jerky around now, just because they can. The thing that really makes me nervous is this whole Santa issue, the fact that he can see you when you're sleeping and knows you when you're awake really creeps me out. So I've started wearing sweatpants to bed because I really don't need Santa seeing me in my underwear. <laughs> well, I guess, you know, it's a reflection of our times and uh, they're dealing with issues most kids that age would deal with. Yeah. yeah. Am I too wimpy? Do I need to stand up to do people? I to, do I need to be a bit of a big boy? Yeah. The great part about this Greg is that he is an underdog, obviously, yeah. but he has a very inflated view of himself. <laughs> he feels very, very, you know, sometimes he goes through these would that self-important be, bits. Would that be something like how maybe an adult who's written this book sees kids are like nowadays? That's why there's so many of these new writers that write books for kids with, with the allegory and the themes and the, and the things that they read. And mm. I always hope that when, when young adults or kids, teenagers read these books, that they do take something of it because they, sure they, 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 they have this very entitled opinion about things, you know, like they, they believe they deserve it, but really you don't. Mm. Whether you're seen or heard, that's our generation when we grew up. Like you just go play in the corner, don't make any noise. If you want to make noise, go to the next room and play. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, and I don't think that's just a sort of like with old and that's why we think of younger people as self-entitled. I think it really is, it is. quite it's a change in how we've brought up children. I think there was a certain way that parenting worked with the baby boomers which you know gave rise to the Gen X, you know very very industrious and then the Gen Xers having gone through what our parents 
put us through, mm-hmm. um, we decided to change things up. You know, when I have a kid, I'm going to be super cool. I'm going to allow them to do this and allow them to do that and have them eat marshmallows all day. And that has bred. No, but I love it. A lot, of, a lot of us our age who are having kids have done this, this, this declaration of I'm going to be so different from my parents. And then I notice how actually you're worse off than your parents because you're, you haven't kept those you little beasts ke- in check. Yes, you haven't kept those beasts in check. And suddenly oh. you, you, can't even, you can't even control them or even give them marshmallows well, do, all day if uh, you wanted to. More and more, to. I believe in that whole, that whole idea of it takes a village to raise True. a child. Yes. And that um, parents nowadays might think, don't tell me what to do about my children. But sometimes children respond to discipline that comes from outside yes. because and they, they don't respect yeah. their parents in the same way. Read. I think reading is, is quite a lovely thing for kids to do. Absolutely. You know? Parents who allow their kids to read are really quite amazing. It is a little bit hard as a parent, especially if you're a working parent, to lead by example. You know, I used to be quite a bookworm and I would tell my elder kids you should read but never actually read myself because I was too busy working at the time. Now that with my youngest kid, I have the time to sit down and read to her and I'm re- she sees me reading all the time. She will pick up a book of her own initiative and uh, go through the motions of reading. And <laughs> she's oh, she read, can't read yet, but she's going through the motions of reading and insists that I join her in it. And um, I also realize that my elder kids might have benefited from some of these you know, all books that, especially the ones that do well, they have some benefit to them, which is to teach kids experiences that they might not ever experience themselves because they're not put in dire situations or they're not put, you know, they're not going off to school and being alone or they're not uh, lonely. Traveling the world, uh, unraveling mysteries. So they might learn to see another point of view Mm. just through this fantasy that a book is. And I think it's quite a big part, not just of an educational process, but moral development and social development for an individual to be able to see somebody else's point of view, which is what a book can give you. What did you used to read when you were a child? I used to read Nancy Drew. Oh, nice. Hardy Boys. I did too. Lots. I used to love Enid Enid Blyton and the Faraway Tree. Yeah. But uh, there was one book that I've brought here today, which is by L.M. Montgomery called Emily Climbs, which I really, really love. Ellen Montgomery, did she write? She wrote Anne of Green Gables. Gables. And Emily Climbs was like a series of books that she, I think she she was having problems with her publishing house. So she started writing this. And as she was writing this, she was also like cleaning up her diaries. So apparently Emily Climbs is very... It's quite, uh, yeah, autobiographical. And I'm I looking at the book this, and I, I love that it's the copy that you read when you were... Yes, this is absolutely is the copy, copy that I read when I was it's younger. It's a hardcover, Yellow much page. like an in the quality book. of the paper, it's amazing. Beautiful paper and um, I, I can see I've marked little passages that I enjoyed when I was a kid. This young girl, is forced, she's a writer, she's a creative person, but she lives in like the 18th late 1800s yeah and she comes from a proud family and so you can't be seen doing the wrong thing a writer what do you mean that's so commercial oh no (laughs) sisters (laughs) yeah so uh she wants to be educated but her um guardians who are two aunts spinsters tell her that she'll be allowed to go to study if she promises not to write Wow. so she compromises by just writing fact as in in her diary so this is this is these are her diaries 
It had always seemed to Emily, ever since she could remember, that she was very, very near to a world of wonderful beauty. Between it and herself hung only a thin curtain. She could never draw the curtain aside, but sometimes, just for a moment, a wind fluttered it, and then it was as if she caught a glimpse of the enchanting realm beyond, only a glimpse, and heard a note of unearthly music. She's uh, <laughs> sensitive to something, and she wants to express it, and she's surrounded by people who just can't understand what she's talking about, what she means by that. And uh, for a growing young lady, that might be a wonderful way to get some perspective on the world. And I thought it was a very influential on me when I grew up. Yes. And I think that's why, you know, books about going to school always, you know, hit a note with the young ones. Mm -hmm. So if you miss Harry Potter, and what I loved about Harry Potter was that it kind of uh, mirrored some of the elements, some of the shock factor that I got from reading Enid Blyton's Mallory, Mallory Towers, Towers which I and St. Clair's. That whole, you know, breaking yeah. into a... Trying New to learn school. how to fit in, yeah. making a stand and all so that. So if you miss Harry Potter, there are two books here, two series here that maybe you'd like to pick up. One is called The Mysterious Benedict Society. And it's about a group of very special children who gain entry by answering to a peculiar ad that says, are you a gifted child looking for special opportunities? Um, and so the main character is someone called Rainy Muldoon. And he was introduced to this uh, ad by his teacher, Miss Paramal, who speaks to him in Tamil. I love it. Miss <laughs> Paramal. Like mm. Pencils, erasers and disqualification. That's chapter one. More like that. In a city called Stonestown, near a port called Stonestown Harbour, a boy named Rennie Muldoon was preparing to take an important test. It was the second test of the day. The first had been in an office across town. After that one, he was told to come here, to the Monk Building on 3rd Street, and to bring nothing but a single pencil and a single rubber eraser, and to arrive no later than 1 o'clock. If he happened to be late or bring two pencils or forget his eraser or in any other way deviate from the instructions, he would not be allowed to take the test. And that would be that. Rennie, who very much wanted to take it, was careful to follow the instructions. Curiously enough, these were the only ones given. He was not told how to get to the monk building, for example, and had found it necessary to ask directions to the nearest bus stop, acquire a schedule from a dishonest bus driver who tried to trick him into paying for it and walk several blocks to catch the 3rd Street bus. Not that any of this was difficult for Rennie Muldoon. Although he was only 11 years old, he was quite used to figuring things out for himself. From somewhere across the city, a church bell struck the half hour, 12.30, he still had a while to wait. When he checked the doors of the monk building at noon, they were locked. So Rennie had bought a sandwich at a deli stand and sat down on this park bench to eat. A tall building in Stonetown's busiest district must surely have many offices inside, he thought. Locked doors at noon seemed a little peculiar, but then, what hadn't been peculiar about this whole affair? To begin with, there was the advertisement. A few days before, Rennie had been reading the newspaper over breakfast at the Stonetown Orphanage, sharing sections with his tutor, Miss Perumal. As Rennie had already completed all the textbooks on his own, even those for high school students, the orphanage director had assigned him a special tutor while the other children went to class. Miss Perumal didn't quite know what to do with Rennie. 
either, but she was intelligent and kind, and in their time together, they had grown fond of sharing the morning newspaper over breakfast and tea. Oh, that's quite lovely. Interesting. What I really like about well-told children's stories is how they don't talk down to the children. The author kind of expects that the reader will identify with a child who's 11 years old, who reads the newspaper, can go around town by themselves, has a brain, you know, that kind of thing. And I think that's great. It's, it's like great. something Yeah, I think it positive. could also give children something to aspire to, mm. like oh, to yes. have that kind of independence. If you're, if you're listening and you want to, to get this book for yourself or for your 11-year-old child, the author is Trenton Lee Stewart and the book is called The Mysterious Benedict Society. There's another one called School of Fear. <gasps> school of Fear? That's like, fear. That's like going to school, isn't it? Publishers Weekly says, imagine a humorous middle-grade novel by a less self-absorbed Woody Allen to get an idea of this intelligent and witty children's debut. Um, it's not a debut, actually, but this was you know, when it was reviewed. The ending proves as clever as the premise and shows that while everyone is afraid of something, tremendous achievements can be won by facing fear head-on. Mm-hmm. School of Fear is written by Gitti Danishvari. The first installment was called School of Fear. The second one, School of Fear class, is not dismissed. And I think she's got she's got two more out. So there's four altogether with the final one being the final exam. Oh, I thought <laughs> so, it would be like, face the fear. Face the fear. So all these kids have different fears and they have to face it. The first page is a letter from the headmaster. And I'll get you to read it. Dear applicant, I am pleased to inform you of your acceptance to the summer course at School of Fear. As you already know, School of Fear is an exceedingly select institution run by the elusive Mrs. Wellington, aimed at eradicating children's fears through unorthodox methods. The small group of parents, doctors, alumni and teachers aware of our existence vigilantly maintain our anonymity. It is at the discretion of this small group that students are referred. We strongly advise all incoming applicants and their families only to discuss School of Fear in the confines of their home with a television on, water running and dog barking. On behalf of Mrs. Wellington and the entire School of Fear staff, I would like to welcome you. Warm regards, dictated but not read. Leonard Munchhauser, lead counsel to Mrs. Wellington and School of Fear, Munchhauser and Son Law Firm. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's hilarious. I think children also like something dark in their books, you know, a little bit of a mystery, like a little bit of horror. Series. The Lemony Snicket series, you know, something very sinister. And this one, uh, this next one that I have is also in that vein. It's called, if you're reading this, it's too late. <laughs> <laughs> the author is Pseudonymous Bosch. This is not the first one. The first one is called, The Name of This Book is Secret. And the next one is called, If You're Reading This, It's Too Late. And there are a few more in this series. You have to sign a contract before. Before you start reading the book, and this is what it says. Binding contract. I, the reader of this book, certify that I am reading this book for entertainment only, or to avoid cleaning my bedroom or doing my homework. I will not try to uncover the true identities or locations of the people described in this book, nor will I try to contact any secret society mentioned in this book. Although the story may concern an ancient and powerful secret, I hereby deny any knowledge of this so-called secret. If I'm ever asked about it, I will run from the room. 
unless I am on an airplane, in which case I will close my eyes and ignore the person speaking to me. And if all else fails, I'll scream. I will not repeat a word of this book under any circumstances unless I just can't help it. Signed, reader, date. Asterix, normally I would ask that you sign in blood, but lately I have found that ketchup works just as well, and it's much less painful. <laughs> I love that. Up next, Tasha Fusil has the moves for happy, smiley, peaceful babies and little ones. Before that, here's Don't Wait by Mappe. I'm Maya Tan on a Sunday Kind of Love, BFM 89.9. Love the childhood and stolen books episode. I'm Maya Tan. Now, if you're a parent, a godparent, aunt, or uncle, big sister, older brother, cousin, maybe even just a babysitter, stay tuned. Tasha Fusil's got some tricks to share with you. Oh, yeah. There are dozens and dozens of parenting hacks online. Some very practical, some are kind of obvious. Some are strange, and then there are those that are downright silly. Since I'm not a mum, I wasn't entirely sure which of the lot were actually tips that parents would find useful. So I gathered a few parenting hacks and shared them with some mums and dads out there to see what they thought. After some rigorous vetting of hacks, here are parenting tips for kids of various ages that have been given the Papa Mama stamp of approval. Tip number one, make an ice popsicle out of a pacifier to soothe a teething baby's gums. There are hundreds of baby teething products out there in the market, from toys to gnawing necklaces that mums can wear, but freezing a pacifier in an ice cube tray with juice, milk, formula or water is a lovely and free way to soothe your baby's gums and give a little extra nutrition. Tip number two, Trace the outline of your child's feet on paper when you need to buy them shoes. This is another popular hack that's being used by mums all over. You might be out and about at the mall doing your grocery shopping when you come across a pair of shoes that are just too adorable to pass up. The quickest and easiest way to make sure they're going to fit would just be to plonk them over the tracing to see if they fit. Now some people have said that you might as well measure your child's feet. But feet come in all shapes and sizes, and with growing children, it seems more time-effective to trace their feet than to bother finding the measuring tape. Plus, I think it's quite cute to keep visual tabs on how big your child's feet are getting. Tip number three. Put kids to work by turning chores into a fun game. When they're young, it's probably quite easy to convince kids that household chores are actually fun activities. I know that's how I felt when my dad convinced me that washing the rims of his car was actually a cool thing. So to get kids into the habit of cleaning, try this. Make a sweeping square by taping off a square box on the floor, about a foot on each side with masking tape. 
and make that square the win zone. Give your little minion a broom and tell him or her that the aim of the game is to get as much crumbs and dirt into the square as possible. More crumbs equal more points. He won't just be mummy's little helper, he'll also be learning better hand-eye coordination and observation skills. Or that's what we can tell ourselves as we're putting the kids to work. Tip number four, avoid stranger danger with a safety password. I would never want this to happen to anyone, but you can never be too careful. If a stranger approaches your child claiming to be a friend or uncle or auntie, have your child ask that person for the password. The password could be a word or number or phrase that you have agreed with your child. And if that stranger doesn't know the password, then they would know not to follow them. There should never really be any situation where your child needs to be picked up by someone that they don't already know or trust. But in the case of an emergency and you need to call upon the help of colleagues or friends whom your child might not know, this would be a good thing for kids to learn. Tip number five. Speaking of passwords, you can reclaim the power in your house by confiscating the all-important and almighty Wi-Fi password. I mean, if there's a whole list of chores that need doing, a sure way to speed up the process would definitely be to withhold internet privileges until everything's been completed. Tip number six. Create to give, to save, and to spend money jars. I love this idea and I wish I had something like this when I was growing up to teach me a little bit more about how to manage my money responsibly. Instead of having just one piggy bank to keep the money that kids earn through odd jobs or the money that they get during Raya or Chinese New Year, let them decide how they'd like to divvy up their money with the three money jars. This teaches them a whole lot of things. How to give to others in need, how to save up for the Star Wars lightsaber that they might be coveting, and how to allocate money to spend on treats like ice cream and rainbow loom supplies. Tip number seven. Encourage your kids to read. Okay, this isn't a hack. But literacy is important, and unfortunately, the desire to read doesn't come as naturally to children as playing with toys or gadgets like the iPad or smartphone. There is no real shortcut to getting children interested in reading. But the first major thing you can do to garner their interest is by taking time to read with them. Allocate time to do fun daily activities that involve reading, whether it's during bedtime or tea time. Turn on the subtitles to their favorite TV programs so they can familiarize themselves with the spelling of the words they hear. Reading should be a choice and not a chore. So take some time to find out what types of books or stories would interest them most. There are tons of reading apps available for the iPad, and Scholastic.com gives good recommendations on which books, toys, and apps are good for teaching kids to read at any age. But I know we're in the digital age, and it may be increasingly hard to create or maintain interest in reading, and even I admit that I don't take the time to sit and enjoy a good book as often as I used to. So it takes effort. But whatever little changes we can make to involve reading for not just the kids, but for ourselves, are all we need, really, to start making a difference. That rounds up the tips I've put together for parent hacking. Let us know what you think, or if you have any of your own must-share parenting hacks, tweet us at BFM Radio. I'm Tasha Fusil, and you've just been Life Hacked. We've come to the end of a Sunday kind of love with me, Maya Tan, Tasha Fusil, and our resident couch, couch potatoes, Christina Oro and Edwin Sumon. Oh, and also our story narrator, Mia Elena. I'm gonna leave you with Be Impressive by the Griswolds. You've been listening to a Sunday kind of love. Have a storybook Sunday. I'm Maya Tan, BFM 89.9.
Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.